Hi, and welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Harris. This podcast is all about helping leaders understand how do they get focus, flow, and fun. Over the course of this podcast, I'll be working with and interviewing senior people, leaders, and authors from around the world who will be giving their insights, their questions, their challenges around how they and the people that they work with become frank and fearless. Welcome to the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. Today, I am joined by the wonderful Tim Jones, a Welshman who now finds himself in New Zealand. So going from one place where there was a lot of sheep to another place where there's a lot of sheep. Uh, Tim, welcome. How are you? I will cover all bases and say Shamai and Kia ora. <laughs> <laughs> um, Tim, let's let's kick straight off. So you now spend the majority of your time working and helping organisations become B Corps. Just yep. explain what a B Corp is. That's a very good question. Um, it is certainly not a C Corp and it's not an A Corp. It is a B Corp. Um, the B Corp stands for Benefit Corporation. So basically the B Corp certification is third party independent verification of the uh, transparency and accountability that a business um, has around its uh, social and environmental performance. And when you certify, you get a little red certificate with a B badge. Why? Why? Why is there a trend now to be thinking wider from just being a commercial organisation that exists to make money. Why is it now important that we need to be thinking about the environment, about the people, uh, and about the supply chain? Uh, it's interesting. Like I think there are many... Um, like, I, my degree is in medieval history. Um, that's a whole other podcast. Um, but when you do history, they, they typically talk about you need to look at the short-term causes and the long-term causes for an event. So um, at, at secondary school doing A-levels in the UK, I, I studied the French Revolution and they talk about the short-term causes and the long-term causes. So short-term, a group of people stormed the Bastille, cut some people's heads off, whatever they did. And it's like, cool, revolution's on full-on beast mode. But... Prior to that, there were two years of bad harvests. There were many years of bad governance from the king. There was uh, many years of high taxation. There were wars, and that that all kind of led to the sudden, you know, explosiveness of that of the the start of the revolution. And I guess really, B Corp and purpose driven business in general, there are many factors that are leading to it. I think in general, just most people are pretty connected in the world these days to see how what I do will have an effect on the world around me. Whereas maybe even 20 years ago, you know, thanks to the Internet, you know, we didn't really get to see and, or know as much of that. Um, I think we've got a massive generational shift um, with, um, you know, just the younger uh, generations coming through, realising that actually... You know, there's more to life than just trying to chase money and just get a financial return in a business when actually the, the, there is a need for more meaning and purpose and contribution in our lives as individuals. Um, yeah, I think. But also on top of that, we're seeing, you know, economic forces, um, you know, investments, banking is now recognising that um, there is a long term better return on businesses that are looking at more than just prioritizing making money in the short term so i think that there are lots and lots of complex moving pieces um but i guess the, the take-home message is it is now a thing so get amongst it so you mentioned there about generations and about the the younger generation really having a conscious awareness of their buying behaviors yep so at what point does the kind of crossover come where actually an organization has no choice than to be a B corporation? Because if they're not, they're going to be going backwards pretty quickly. Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be too far away for some industries. Um, I think if you look at consumer goods, uh, it is definitely now a thing. Uh, I've just recently, well, a month or so ago now, finished working uh, with NZTE, New Zealand Trade and Enterprise, and B Lab, which is the not-for-profit organisation that runs the B Corp certification system. We just helped 43 New Zealand FMCG exporters look at the assessment and have some one-on-one -on -one consultation around how to do the assessment and how to maximise, um, you know, if they go through and do certification, all of them will do. But um, you know, how to maximise the certification in terms of um, you know business growth and market and potential and expansion. And going through that, just looking at FMCG sort of so fast moving consumer goods, 
um, consumer brands, uh, particularly health, beauty and nutrition. Looking at a lot of their peers in North America and Northern Europe, their competitors are B corporations. So for, for this cohort, it, this wasn't aspirational. This is table stakes. This is if we if we're claiming to be a holistic, you know, nutrition company that is, um, I don't know, uh, vegetable powered, protein power type stuff, and you're not a B Corp. It's kind of like, oh, really? That's interesting. So I think there's, and we're seeing that already. If you look at the B Corps, we've got in New Zealand, we've got the Cheer Sisters, we've got um, Fix and Fog, the Peanut Butter Company, um, we've got Etik, um, we've got Little Yellow Bird who do uh, clothing apparel. So certainly in New Zealand, the early adopters are. are there's a number of them from that sort of consumer facing brands. And this is the thing, you know, once, once uh, I, I took a photo, I posted it on LinkedIn the other day, like I open up the fridge and I have like the Raglan coconut company with one I didn't mention. Um, and the, the coconut yogurt was in the fridge and it had the little B Corp logo on the back, just facing out to me. And I was just like, my God, that's so cool. I've got a B Corp in my fridge. And then I was like, hang on a minute. And I went and looked at my, I've got my little, there you go, my pucker tea, for those of you if you're watching this on video. Um, so my little pucker tea, which is a, I yeah. think they're a UK based B Corp. And then I was yeah. like, hang on a minute, I'm about to go and have a shower with my Etique B Corp um, solid bar, you know, shampoo product. Oh, and I bought it all with my Kiwi Bank business credit card or, or, or home credit card, which is now a B Corp. Well, that's pretty cool. Those listening from further afield, from a global perspective, a couple of names for me that come to mind that I'd like you to add: Ben and Jerry's, uh, Patagonia. Uh, give it, give the, give the audience a couple more gl- big global brands. Uh, yes, yeah, so, so Danone, um, which is like one of the world's biggest companies, is kind of going through business units by business unit. Um, Natura, which basically is. They're like I think they're like a multi-billion-dollar South American outfit that owns the Body Shop, and they also own Avon. Um, they're a B Corp. Um, it's hard to keep up with the play because there's some. Re- if you're in the UK in particular, like B Corp is pretty big. I think they've, I think they've just hit 500 or more B Corps in the UK. I think like there's like Innocent Drinks. I think they're a mm-hmm. B Corp in the UK. There's yeah. some pretty mainstream brands in the UK. That, like in Waitrose, um, if you go on to Waitrose online to do your shopping, they have a B Corp aisle. So you can search online for all the brands in Waitrose that are a B Corp. Mm-hmm. Like that's pretty cool. So I'm a business owner. I'm a leader working within an organization. Um, how do I find out more about being a B Corp? And, and what's the sort of process that's involved in, in getting certification? Yep. Um, so if you go to... Um, like in the UK, it would be bcorporation.co.uk, I'm pretty sure. Um, bcorporation.net is the global uh, uh, domain. And then regionally for Australia, New Zealand, it's bcorporation.com.au. You can get a good overview of um, what it is and what the, why the movement is a thing. I've also got a couple of ebooks that I'll get through to you and you can put as links in the show notes that give a really good summary of kind of what this thing is, where it came from and why you should look at doing it. But really the starting point is... so the. the the assessment is initially a self-assessment. So you go through, it's pretty much a glorified questionnaire, um, which looks at your business across five pillars. So it looks at your governance. So who owns your business? How transparent and accountable is your business from a governance perspective? It looks at your workers. So beyond state mandated requirements for staffing and employment laws, um, you know, what extra benefits do your staff get around personal development, um, around opportunities for, for growth, um, health insurance, and all those kind of things. It looks at your community impact. Um, so yeah, how, how are you operating in your local community? Are you, are you, um, seeking to work with independent small suppliers local to where you operate or are you supporting you know bigger companies in your supply chain that's hard for some bigger businesses because you can't get the scale Um, it looks at your environmental footprint and then it looks at your customer model so you literally go through and your customer model is basically what what are you selling to whom and do you have sort of guarantees in place and and other bits and bobs like that and privacy uh, data privacy around data usage and things like that but so essentially it's this initial self-assessment and you need to meet a threshold of 80 out of 200 points for you to click submit for you to then get in the queue which you don't have to do you can just go online and take the assessment it's, it's completely free so if you go to beimpactassessment.net you can go and take this assessment completely free and you'll get a whole lot of learnings and you'll be asked a whole lot of questions about your business that you just haven't maybe pondered on before but yeah, if you want to go through the certification, you meet the 80 out of 200 threshold, you click submit, you go into the queue to be verified, you get a standards assessor who will then go through your assessment, pick out some questions to audit you on, you successfully complete that audit. And as long as you're still over 80 out of 200 points, you pay your certification fee and in you come, welcome to the community. So that's that's it. 
so two things I want to pick up on there. One, actually, it's a really good benchmarking tool to ask, yep, ascertain totally. where you're at. And, and actually, if you're a business or an organization or a leader that is thinking and being different to your competitors, great place to start. Um, just talk to us a little bit about the community. What? Because you kind of mentioned this aspect of opening the fridge and, and feeling, and I, I know you well, and I know that there's a, a huge sense of kind of pride knowing that the conscious purchases that you're making are in line with those organizations that are, that are aspiring and doing things more than just earning yeah. and making money. So it is a real thing. Like it was really interesting when Kiwi Bank, um, I mean, I guess I've, I've been, I've been part of this thing since day, almost day one. So I, when I stumbled across B Corporation in, I think it was 2013, there were two B Corps in New Zealand. We're now at about 46 ish, give or take. It's hard to keep up because they're coming through semi-regularly these days. But, um, I've been pretty heavily invested in it, I guess, on a personal side, because I was so disenchanted by what the modern business world was providing me and my what I call my hard Brexit from the corporate world of just, you know, it is completely meaningless. It's pointless. We're all just trying to kill each other to earn more money for some bloke, typically at the top of the food chain who actually doesn't give a rat's ass about anything that we're doing here. And I'm I'm spending my time creating a spreadsheet to send to someone else. I'm, I'm sending it to Adam and his company and he doesn't even care about the spreadsheet. He doesn't even like the company he's working for. And yet, you know, we're all doing this and that's okay. That's normal. So I had this real, um, for me, it was like the earthquakes we had here in Christchurch 2010, 2011. Then my daughter was born in 2012. I basically had what's called a subconscious awakening. So I, I kind of got to see the show for what it really was and how utterly insane most of what we're doing on a day-to-day basis so i guess i'm relatively deep in the matrix on this one and so yeah it does it feels it literally when when the the message from like kiwi bank came through i I got i was on like the early release email from julia the head of sustainability i just picked up the phone straight away i was like oh my god this is amazing like i'm just speechless and there is this sense of community because i guess we are well, for the last, since like 2013, man, it's like almost 10 years, we've we've kind of been on the bleeding edge of trying to transform business and the economy and capitalism and everything so that everyone has a better go and has a better opportunity at surviving. You know, we're glorified chimpanzees spinning around on a disc in the middle of a universe inside a, a bunch of infinite other universes. You know, we're all just trying to have a good time here and get to maybe 80 or 90 and, and think that that was worthwhile. But it's like there's this core group of businesses that genuinely get that and genuinely actually care about trying to be the best for the world, not the best in the world. And so there is this... Um, there is a real sense of community. It's not. It doesn't necessarily mean that just because someone's a B Corp, they're going to be your best mate. Um, but there is definitely this sense of sort of esprit de corps that you you have met a a benchmark as a business that not every other business has, and and that means you are doing something different. And so the, I guess it's the the intent, the philosophy, the the mindset within the businesses that just means. I mean, um, there's a, a good mate of mine, Ian Harvey. He runs um, a business called Collective Intelligence, and he they certified as a B Corp, and he was like, "Look, we really want to try and do something." So so Ian basically created a roadshow event. So we went from we did Christchurch, Wellington, Auckland over three days. And basically all we did was, well, it was him and his team who pretty much ran it. But he said it was astonishingly, it seemed to him astonishingly easy to create a three-day roadshow event because we were dealing with other B Corps. Like everyone was just like, do you need a venue? Do you want some sponsorship? Do you need help with setting up? It was like everyone just wanted to chip in because they were like, yeah, we want help spread the spread the word. Mm. Whereas he said, you know, they, they he runs events semi-regularly and he just said this was by far and away the easiest series of events to run because there was that sense of community. So there was a phrase in that that I heard, which I just want to repeat because I, I think it was great. A B Corp aspires to be best for the world, exactly not, not in the world. Well, I mean that 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 for me, and I I know I know um, quite a bit about B Corps because of spending time with you and you educating me. I think for me that absolutely sums it yeah. up um, in wanting to be and do things better for all of the different exactly stakeholders that. involved. Um, you you mentioned you've mentioned a couple of times so far around mm-hmm. purpose. What what is because this is a word that gets mm-hmm. banged around a lot. You know what's your <laughs> what's your purpose? What's your higher meaning? And I don't know why I'm doing it with an American accent. Why not? <laughs> but maybe because maybe because it just it, it, it there's a there's definitely kind of a yep. cheesiness about it. But from your perspective, what what is purpose and what's the impact that that should have first and yep. foremost on the individual? but then second of all into into an organisation. I spent six years trying to work out what the answer to this question was. And it's one of those classic examples. 
just go look in the dictionary um because the dictionary actually nails it really really well um the dictionary describes purpose as essentially the reason for which something was made or created and something's use or usefulness and that it, it's it's like that is actually the definition so if you look on the individual level if you look at like the word genius if i say to you genius who is the first person that comes to mind albert einstein albert einstein 100 percent. every time everyone says albert einstein the thing is right genius doesn't actually mean genius in terms of wow you're really really brainy genius is it comes from the latin which basically means soul so the first part of purpose is to be the absolute purest most authentic soul-driven version of you so there's that famous mark twain quote paraphrasing badly the two most important days in the world are the day you were born and the day you find out why it nails it because this is the thing like the chances of you being you adam are so infinitesimally small that you should not exist as a human like so your mum and dad had to stay together long enough to have at least one decent night of some kind of fun hopefully um you know but that was the one sperm out of the many million that your dad created over all of his life that met the one egg that your mum had created at that time. But that's your mum and dad at an unbroken chain of genetic reproduction that goes back, depending on your religious, spiritual, scientific belief system, a long, long time. So like the chance that you exist is so small that you should not exist. But equally, you are unique. Like you have skills, you have, you know, you have a you were born with an innate personality type which is kind of yours which then gets built on over time so that's that's the first part of it is like be you but that's the hardest part because no not many people know who they are and not many organizations know who they really are the second part to it then is you being you sort of being the best version of you contributing to the greatest good that you can for someone or something around you now for many people, and this is the really, you know, this is, I guess it's like purpose with a small P, purpose with a big P in some ways. Like if if we were all just good parents and raised good kids, that's a pretty meaningful life. You know, it's like if that's where you just need to stop. And right now in lockdown where we are in, in New Zealand, like we're both struggling with that. You know, we're not even, because let's face it, your kids are on an iPad. My kid is definitely on an iPad right now. Um, But this is the thing, like as you start becoming more you and becoming the best version of you um you will want to kind of lift heavier and more frequent loads of contribution so start with you um become the best version of you then become the best family of you then start thinking about okay how can i operate in my community to do some good okay now i've, I've nailed or, or maybe my business then it's my community then it's maybe my society then it's maybe my country and then it's like cool now i'm can operate at a global level of this stuff but the hard it's it's relatively easy to, to, to go and contribute to something. And, and this is where most businesses were founded was because someone had a problem. And it's like, cool, I think I can solve that for you. But where it kind of all, has all got a little bit, bit misguided is, okay, well, the problem that you had, is that a genuine kind of Maslow's hierarchy of need, need? Or have we actually created the need with you with our crafty marketing department over here with our great coloring in skills? Sorry, marketing people. As a salesperson, I have to get that one in. Um, you know, have we created an artificial need here, which is actually preying on your lack of meaning and purpose because you're not complete and you don't know who you are. And so we'll just make you buy stuff that you don't need so that you feel slightly more complete. And then we'll try and sell you more of that year on year on. And then we do that and we go, wow, there's lots of money in this. This is cool because everyone likes money and buying shit. You know, it's like, this is the problem. Instead of actually pulling it back and going, does anyone actually need what we're selling? What a crazy idea. So, yeah, so I'm sure there'll be people that will be listening to this or those people that go, yeah, Tim, that's really quite inspirational. And, I, you know, and I, and I hear you. However, surely that's for everybody else, because what you're asking of me is to spend time on myself and work out what it is that I want and need. And that's too hard. It is too hard which is why the vast majority of people who listen to this and who listen to me preach on about purpose at any time won't bother because it's too hard. It's the hardest thing you'll ever do. Um, I think it was 2014, um, University of Virginia in the US, they got a whole lot of grad students in you know, to, to do this experiment. And they said, right, we're basically going to put you in a room in a minute. It's a dark room. You're going to be in there with nothing but yourself and your own thoughts. You need to stay in the room. I think it was for like 10 minutes or maybe 20 minutes. If, however, you want to leave the room anytime, you can self-administer an electric shock. What percentage of people self-administered the electric shock? 
Oh, 75%. It was some, it was 70 to 80%. And they weren't asked to listen to their thoughts, to challenge their thoughts, to question their thoughts. It was just be in a room with nothing but your own thoughts. Like if you can't even handle the the day-to-day mundane chatter of the chimp mind, what hope have you got of, but this is like, this is the irony of, um, you know, most people listening to this will like either Star Wars or The Hobbit or um, Harry Potter. It's like the clue is in the really high grossing movies that, that do really, really well. It is the hero's journey. Mm-hmm. And the hero's journey means you have to go inside and slay the metaphorical dragon, which is the parts of you that you don't want to exist, you don't want to admit exists, and the bits of you that aren't complete and all the childhood trauma, because we all had it, whether it was just like mum and dad didn't give you enough cuddles when you genuinely when you wanted them, through to extreme trauma of, you know, physical domestic you know, violence and sexual abuse and what have you. Like we're all carrying stuff that we don't want to admit that we're carrying it but this is you know this is the story that has captured humanity since forever it's like um what is it the uh, story of percival or parcival you know um wh- where should the knights of the round table enter the forest where it appears darkest to them it's like the clue is there yep. but people don't want to do it because it's hard because you have to go and admit that there's a whole lot of stuff that you don't know and you're not who you thought you were and there's blame and there's anger and there's resentment for you you being this version of you that was created typically by your parents your society your peers your schooling all the rest of it and so people would rather be comfortably numb and go and buy that new iphone or android phone and and get their fix and their need for approval from that rather than actually going inside and doing the work but if you're a leader listening to this and you want to take yourself which is why i call it purpose-fueled performance it's like if you tap into this stuff it's it's like nuclear fuel it's yeah and and you know that's one of the reasons why i call my um business frank and fearless because first and foremost is that we've got to look at ourselves you know we've we've, we've got to look at ourselves in the mirror and just you know be the best version of ourselves um, I just want to pick up on, so if your hero's journey was a film, what would the title of the film be and who would who would play you? Oh, um, I, well, my, my working title for all my sort of purpose journey stuff is In Pursuit of Purpose. Okay. Um, and I'd probably, I'd want to have a young Dolph Lundgren. <laughs> uh, so interestingly, <laughs> uh, locally here where I am in New Plymouth, um, Dolph Lundgren's uh, stunt double now lives around the corner. I'll take him. He's hired. <laughs> oh. I have been. I have been said that I do. Also, some people think I look like Greg Davis of um, In Betweeners and uh, Taskmaster fame. Yes, but I, I think it's only because I'm tall and half Welsh, just like him. Uh, yeah, you do look quite similar to him. <laughs> to be to be fair, as well, it's a little bit of a toss up as to who's funnier out of the two of you. But well, thank you. I'll I'll, I'll take that. <laughs> I think I think that's a compliment, oh, but I'm not definitely sure. Definitely a compliment. I'm... <laughs> Tim, your your journey to getting to where you are now. What what's the biggest regret that you've got when you when you reflect back? Genuinely, no regrets. As that cheesy. If you're in New Zealand, you'll have seen the no regrets advert. For those of you outside New Zealand, it means nothing. But Google it; it's not that funny. Um, I remember when I lived in I lived in Australia for a year. So I left the UK, went to Australia for a year, went back to the UK for a year, came to New Zealand. And um, I was watching some movie with this family that I was living with. And it was one of those, there was a French guy in it and, you know, full of, you know, philosophical ideas and, and stuff. And uh, the one thing that really stuck with me, I can't remember the name of the movie, but I remember this line. He said, there's no such thing as regrets. There's only things we did or didn't do. And I, for me, that just sums it up. It's like you... You wouldn't be you if all the stuff that hadn't happened in your life hadn't happened. So why? Do, so, so why do you think it is that people hold hold so much energy, positive or negative, as to the things that they have done or they haven't done? That's a great question. It's it's human condition, I guess. That kind of loss aversion mentality. You know, we typically regret the things that we didn't do more than we regret the things that we did do. Um, it's part partly. Like negative memories are typically there for you to remember so that you don't do it again. So feelings of sort of shame, regret, mm-hmm. anger, um, what have you, that's typically, it's ingrained in your mind because your body's like, or your your brain is like, that was really close. If you do that again, you're going to be thrown out from the tribe or you could have died. So let's let's burn that one in, you know, with acid, you know, etch it in so that you don't forget that one. Um, I was going to say something else aligned to that, but it skipped my mind. Um 
What was the question? Say the question again, because I had something that I think was actually quite genius. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> when when you think about the positive or negative events that happen, why do yeah. why do we hold on to it so much? Yeah, yeah. So we hold on to it for the memories, but this is the key. Like, um, so if you, I, I love me a bit of Jungian psychology. So the shadow, shadow integration. Mm-hmm. So the parts of you that you don't like. So anytime you feel anger, resentment, shame, like any of those really, really bad juju kind of like vibey energies inside you, you have to work out where that came from. And you, again, this is the hard part. You've got to go and ask yourself, well, actually, how much of that did I contribute to? Maybe, maybe it was me. We, we don't like having those. We, we just want to live in, you know, la-la land. It's unicorns and rainbows. Life's good. It's not me. It's everyone else. You know, it's the world. I can't do anything. It's it's easy to kind of drift through life with that mentality. Um, and typically, we don't go there. The, you know, um, I can't remember who coined the phrase, but, you know, we, we only change when we're sick and tired of being sick and tired. Like when you are on death's door or when you are at your absolute lowest, that's when we realize that the pain of change is going to be no worse than the pain we're in it's hard to it's hard to ask people to go through change and deep transformational work when life is good because why would i upset the apple cart so when we know that the actual rainbows and the unicorns are at the other end of the rainbow when you find and understand purpose uh, and we also pick it up on your points with regards to know and understand that the journey is hard why is it still that there's so many people that are just stopping and preventing themselves from going on the journey to get, you know, some might say the self-actualization, you know, what, what is it, what can we do in the roles that you and I do in, uh, and other leaders, what can we do to encourage, support, challenge, mentor, guide, coach to help people through their individual journeys? Nice. Um, I mean, a large part of it is maybe who you're hanging out with. You know, you, you, what is it? Was it um, plus or minus ten percent? Yeah, Jim Rohn. Yeah, you're you're the you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You know, misery likes company. Um, why should you go off and become you know transcended and transformational, Adam? When you and I can just be sad and depressed here, drinking beers together in this pub for the last for the next twenty years, like we have done for the last ten years. You know, there's a lot of that. You know, poor me. That um, there's some really interesting uh, research recently on mirror neurons. So the people that you hang out the most with, your your brain waves start sinking. So you know, and because we have that negative bias, you know, it, it all it's easy to get into a negative doom loop spiral of well, it's, there's no point. You know, it's quite easy to get nihilistic about stuff rather than to sort of step up and, and do stuff. So yeah, I think it's look the main one would be you know who you're hanging out with and and who's actually got your best interest at heart would be i think a key one and i think for for organizations or for people who who are in a role where they can facilitate helping people become their best version of themselves like why wouldn't you do that like if you're genuinely a leader that's that's kind of your job is to make the people around you become the best versions of them so that you all do better together but again i I, from my experience of the corporate world there was many leaders who were like actually i don't want you to look better than me because all of a sudden i'm gonna look bad in front of the boss so we'll just maybe keep you down there or we won't send you on that program or we won't put you on that course so i think there's um that's a gross generalization but certainly some of the leaders that i worked under in my career were it's kind of like yeah we don't really want you to be looking much better than me because Whereas the good leaders were like, I want you to shine here. Like I'm even even though you only did a half, uh, like I might have helped you on this project. I'm going to let you take all the glory, because yeah, I I, I, um, I subscribe to and I heard this quote many years ago. Surround yourself with people that are better than you. You know, if you give if yeah. you be, give people the conditions for success, and you're almost a little bit of a puppeteer and just pulling the strings very yeah. very subtly and slightly, actually is that you will enhance, encourage, delegate, elevate all of the skills that are needed um, to have uh, to have success. Just want to go back slightly. Um, as you were talking before, you reminded me of um, an exercise I did. God, this is probably going back about 10 years ago with uh, a speaker friend of mine in the UK called Juliet Lee. And I remember being on a retreat with her and she said, right, okay, I want you to write down who's the one person that really annoys you and just write down the three or four traits and who's the, <laughs> who's the one person <laughs> that you you really admire uh and what are the three or four traits so you know you write it down and then i just remember really distinctly she just turned around and looked me dead in the eyes and she says so those things that you see in the people that you don't like and the people that you like 
they're the traits that you've got. And part of me was just like, oh, shit. And then part of me was like, She's got oh, me. absolutely. And I, I think I think there's something in that is that actually, we, you know, how often do we take that opportunity to to stop and reflect on those people that we've actually got in our lives and almost do a bit of a sense check? So round story, question coming to you now. Um, who's the one person that's not in your life that you would want in your life? Wow, that's an interesting one. Um before I answer that one, can I just quickly close off the thing? So the, the, what you were talking about is like that's that's exactly like the Jungian shadow trigger. Yep. It's like the thing that you see in other people. So the first thing when you when you get triggered by anything, the first thing you you need to ask yourself is is it true? It's like okay, I've been triggered. Is how or what I've been triggered on is it actually true, or have I made this up in my mind? Is this bigger than this thing actually is? If it is true, is there something that I can learn from this? Like actually, am I wrong? Could I do this better? Or could I be more disciplined? Which is which was which like that's been a big one for me over the last couple of years. Then the next thing is to say, cool. Well, can I control any of this? Like, what, what or what of this can I control and make better and become better than me? And then you take appropriate action. Or if it's false and it's out of your control, you have to ignore it. Ultimately, this is all around that integration. So this is what I love about um, when you start looking into words. Like the word atonement. If you break it down, it is at one mint. When you when you are an individual. You are indivisible. It's like, I am one. There are, you, you can't hurt me. I am one. I'm bulletproof. I'm on my track. I'm contributing. I am me, 100% me, authentic, doing my thing. It's like, that's a place to be. In terms of people who are not in my life, I don't know. This is a really tricky one. Like, it would be interesting to have met both my grandfathers. I, I never knew either of them. Um, mm-hmm. They both, like my dad's dad died when he was maybe 15 and my mum's dad died when she was about four. So that would just be interesting because like the, the paternal line in my family, my dad passed away in 2016. So I have a, the paternal line is not strong in the, in the Jones Farno. Um, so yeah, it'd been interesting just to have met them. Um, but ultimately, the one I'd love to know whether he was a real dude or not was King Arthur. It's like, come on, we've got to know. <laughs> Show me. You you love your you love your history. I know. I do. I know you love your history. Um, okay, <laughs> so um, if you were going to be at the side of any battle, uh, sitting next to a, a historic leader, um, who would you want to be sat next to, and and what would you be wanting to hear? I reckon either. Man, that's a good question. I don't know. I'd, I'd probably go someone like maybe Julius Caesar or Marcus Aurelius. Like I've just, I'm really getting into my Stoic philosophy. So I reckon sitting down with Marcus Aurelius and going, dude, that's, hey, trust me, write that one down. That's a keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Marcus Aurelius just see, like, I know there's lots of things that aren't good. You know, he had slaves, but hey, they all had slaves, you know, not justifying it. But, you know, yes, yeah, there's some, there's some not cool things that he did. But man, you look at some of the stuff he wrote and you're like, you're a smart geezer. Like you, you knew some stuff. Um, when you uh, when you look back and you think about all the wonderful things that you've done, what would you have wanted to spend more time doing? <sighs> Certainly not drinking beer at Cardiff University because I seem to have maximised that between 1996 <laughs> and 1999. Is um, that where your student loan went? <laughs> well, luckily, I didn't have one. I was oh. the last, um, the last group in the UK to get through with a free um, tertiary education. So, right. thank you. So the government, go- so the government paid for your <laughs> yeah. alcohol. Yeah. Consumption. Well, I did. I was in the, I was in the reserve forces, so I got paid. I was in the, um, in the OTC and then the TA. So I, I, sort of, I sort of paid my way. Got paid to play a bit of rugby for them as well. Um, I don't know. Like I said, I, for me, there, there are, there are no regrets. There's nothing that I'd want to do differently because I think yeah. if I did anything differently, I wouldn't be who I am today. And I, I'm pretty happy now with who i am and i think it's all it's all part of the journey and you know it's like any time machine type movie seems to be you go back and change one thing doesn't end so well <laughs> yeah the whole slide the whole sliding doors aspect isn't it yeah totally yeah yeah um, so uh it would be rude of me not to pick up on so um you were born and raised in wales you're now living well, in born, born in oxford unfortunately okay so half welsh yeah yeah half plastic welsh. Taff. okay yeah. so if um england <clears throat> England, Wales, and New Zealand were in the uh, semi-finals of the Rugby World Cup. Who's your team? Wales, hundred oh. percent. And I was, I was there um, to watch them with that disastrous Alan Roland uh, red card decision in the semi-final in uh, Auckland, 
whatever that was a few years ago. Genuine tears. There were floods of tears from many hardened Harlech men chiselled from granite and steel who, uh, yeah, terrible night. But don't bring that back up. Trigger, trigger. <laughs> so, how, so then, Tim, how, how do you deal with your triggers? I mean, let, let's, let's pick up on that. Because um, you kind of mentioned it before, but how, how do you deal with your triggers? So it, it's all about awareness. That That is like, um, it was written um, on the temple of Apollo at Delphi. Like, know thyself. Like, it's, it is the maxim for all maxims. Just know who you are. Okay. So I had, I had this during the previous lockdown. It was a really big thing for me. So we were, at the time, living in a rental place. So it was me, my wife, my daughter, and my mother-in-law was living with us. So we were in the process of, we had a section we were just about to start building with, like, a, a granny flat. So it was all going to be good. During the lockdown, like, I'm pretty close to the edge because it looks like my business is about to fold because all my future business was, um, you know, face-to-face training, coaching, speaking stuff. Um, they suddenly go, well, there's no school. So now you're a teacher and a parent. And my wife's business, she picked up a massive contract like the day before lockdown. So she basically kicked me out of my home office and said, you're on it, buddy. Good luck. So having a pretty bad time, um, was working till sort of 1, 2 a.m. in the morning. So I was kind of doing parenting, teaching until 6 or 7, getting dinner done. And then I'd sit down and try and do a day's work to try and salvage what I could. And during the day, the mother-in-law would come in and she'd make herself a sandwich on the um, kitchen worktop without using a chopping board. And I'd have just cleaned it as part of my you know, household duties during the day, trying to get everything kind of spick and span. And there'd just be a trail of crumbs and some little splodges of you know tomato, what have you. And I'd just sit there and kind of just go, did you mentally didn't actually say anything just mentally like did you not just see that that was like spotless before you came in and now it's not like doesn't that bother you and I was getting close to like how do I how do I have this conversation and then basically remembered the similar conversation that you had with with a lady you mentioned I was like oh hang on a minute Timothy what are one of the things that you've historically struggled with in your business would it be discipline and would it be just like generally a bit of sense of order hmm the shadow is calling Timothy so then it's like, cool, okay, this is just a daily challenge for me. It's like, cool, I will add this to my daily list. It's like, it's cool, I'm going to do it because being disciplined enough to come back and clean something that's already been cleaned, that's yeah. cool. And and now now that you've remembered that the discipline is the thing that you need to really work on, bring use that now as like an anchor, tidying the kitchen, right, now go tidy your business. I. Uh- so there's some great stuff there. Um, for me, there was a there's a couple of teachers of mine. There was a um, a friend of mine now in the US called a Professor Sri Kumar Rao, who wrote a book yep. called "Are You Ready to Succeed?" Um, his uh, his students have now actually taken on a business called Wise Humanity, uh, David and Elizabeth, and I hope and both of those will be future guests on the uh, on the podcast. Um, one of the tools that they helped me understand was something called good thing, bad thing, who knows? The, the aspect of we, we find in the moment when the emotion comes up is that we feel that we need to label something. Totally. And we need to label it, this is really good or this is really bad. And, and actually what we need to do is we need to find a way of pausing, is to taking that, that step back mentally and just allowing ourselves not to kind of, uh, kind of label um how what's the practices that you do on a day i mean for me personally i you know not i wrote a book called the check-in strategy journal with uh with a friend of mine robert craven but for me journaling has actually been a big mm-hmm. part of that it's about yep. um journaling in the morning but also in the in the evening to just capture those moments of how and what do i need to do to just prevent myself from the reaction that's that i know is going to come uh based yep. on the triggers you know what what is it that you do Yep, totally. So that was that was a big part, certainly, of my journey. Sort of discovering my purpose was like just writing down stuff and like really reflecting on stuff. Um, just yeah, and and as you were saying just before, like that pausing and and stuff. Again, this is like the, all the stoic stuff that I'm really sort of digging into at the minute. It's like the thing is, like you said, it's neither good or bad. You're putting, you're projecting that onto it. Um, you, you control what you can, jog on from the rest of it. It's like. Don't let it chew up your mental real estate. So yeah, journaling, um, definitely reflecting on how you know how could I have been better today. It's like what what have I done today that I'm not as proud of you know, or I could have done it in a better way. That's yeah, that's that's all you can do. Like the, I've kind of been trying to draw this into a bit of a model. I've been trying to put some ideas down. I'm trying to put it into a model, but 
you, you kind of need like judgment is a bit of a la- uh, um, a loaded word. Like, well, don't judge people, da da. But judgment in maybe a more uh, spiritual sense or typically a biblical sense, like judgment against something, the highest ideal. You know, like the almost like the ultimate purpose question to ask yourself is, who could I be? Like, I, if I created the best version of me, what would that what would that person look like and think like and, and be and do? So judging yourself against the best ideal of you that you can imagine today, but then comparing yourself against who you were yesterday. Mm-hmm. It's like, cool, I'm, I'm still not there yet. It's, that's a path and, and that's a life journey. But am I better than I was yesterday? Yeah, cool. And that's that's really the basis for me is like, just keep comparing yourself against against yourself. Like play your own your own game in that regard and be the best version of you. But yeah, journaling for me the other the other one is just taking time out. To, I I like going for a walk in the morning, and mm-hmm. I'll listen to some podcasts. I'll just get some content in my head, just get me thinking. That kind of keeps me on an even keel. Just you know, re, re, it's it's either one of Socrates, Plato, or Aristotle. They kind of all blend into one with a lot of their quotes because I mean they're basically you know one taught the other who taught the other. Um, but you know, it's kind of like the, the 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 only thing you need to know is that you know nothing. You know, paraphrasing it really badly. It's like if you just enter every day with curiosity and the belief that you're wrong on everything that you know, that's a cool way to be. Because it's like, but again, this is where people get they get so held on to their beliefs and and everything that they believe to be true. Mm-hmm. And as soon as that gets you know a little chink in the armor or a little you know a little pebble falls off the wall of impregnability that, around that belief, it's it's really really stressful. So. So just before this uh, this podcast uh, recording, I was doing a video uh, talking about um, comfort zone mm-hmm. and you know challenging yourself to get comfortably uncomfortable. Yep. Uh, so that you can become more frank and fearless. Continuing on the conversation that we were speaking about, first of all, you've got to be frank and fearless with yourself before you can do that with other yep. with other people. Uh, what what do you do on a daily, weekly, or on a consistent basis that pushes you to the edge of your comfort zone? Um, I guess all sorts. So it's, it's funny you mention that because I've just um, started a sixty day challenge type thing, which I've put out on social. It's like you know, have a have a go at it. It's like a few things that I do on a regular basis, and one of them is is do something hard, like push yourself. Now. It can be as simple as like when I go for a walk in the morning, I go out around a little reserve and there's some pebbles and some little bits of gravel and stuff. Occasionally I get a pebble in my shoe. And it's like, cool, just keep walking. It's 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 annoying. Cool. But can you live with it? Yeah, it's not going to kill me. So there, there are many little micro things that you can do on a daily basis that will push you, that will extend you, where you might typically go, oh, it, this is too hard. I'm just going to stop. And even things like just having a cold shower. Um, I love going for a walk like it will be minus something down here in Christchurch in the middle of winter and I'll be wearing shorts and the t-shirts and I'll, I'll put a pair of gloves on to stop me getting frostbite but I'm, I'm quite happy to walk around in minus something in shorts and a t-shirt because it's like it's it's going to be cold cool but if I can learn to cope with the cold it's just going to yeah. make me because this, this is like for me when it comes to kind of like resilience I, I kind of like the David Goggins school of resilience like the, the main way you get resilient is by doing things that, that push you Mm-hmm. it's as simple as that like and, and if you and again this kind of leans back on the stoics again it's like if you can do things that are hard deliberately when it comes to something hard hitting you unexpectedly you are so better prepared to handle the slings and arrows of misfortune that will come your way because yeah it's it's guaranteed that something's going to happen so whether it's like if you're going for a run like push the last 100 meters or add another 100 meters on the run or walk up like there are, there are a million and one ways you can stretch yourself you know in little ways every day and again they compound you know if i do three of those today it'll mean that tomorrow i get to do those same three things again but to the next level yeah a, f- a friend of mine chris payne uh, again he'll be a future guest um he i remember him telling me about the aspects of kind of setting goals and and, ha- and creating new habits and depending on the research, you reckon it takes between 30 and 66 days to yep. create a new habit. Yep. Is that, um, you know, the age old thing, how do you eat an elephant one bite at a time, is that you set yourself the minimum. So yep. let's say, for example, it's going to be press ups. You know, I want to get to the stage of doing, you know, 50 press ups. Is that you start and the expect, you set the expectation so that it becomes achievable to say, I yep. will do a minimum of one yep. per day. Yep. And by doing the minimum, the chances are you're going to do more than that per day, but it just yep. keeps 
keeps the yep. rhythm and the maintenance. And I think one of the yep. challenges for a lot of people is, is that they set the expectation too high, too quick. Yep. And they don't build that resilience level up. Yep. Plus also, the goal is probably meaningless. You know, it's if there is no meaning in what you're doing, if there's no purpose to it, you give up, you quit. You know, it's like I, I do an example in workshops. I get people to, if you, I don't know if this is going out on video as well, but if you kind of get your hand and, and, and make a fist and then un, unmake your fist, it's kind of like blinking like a light type thing. I, st- I get people in workshops to start doing that and I go, cool, right. Some people actively resist, like they won't even start doing it. It's like, cool. Some of you aren't even doing it. If I said to you, right, I want you to keep doing this for three hours, how many of you would be willing to do that? And most people are like, not really. And I go, okay, but if I said through some mechanism, we worked out that performing that maneuver or that movement was pumping more air into the neonatal unit of the local hospital, how much, how long would you go for? And most people are like, well, yeah. And some people who haven't started will start doing it. I'm like, it's not real. It's just hypothetical. But the the depth of the meaning behind the thing that you want to do is basically... um, intimately connected to how hard and fast and far you will go to achieve it if it's which comes back to the work stuff it's like hey adam could you fill in that spreadsheet and send it to tim at grow good really can't be bothered because i know that he doesn't really look at spreadsheets and i don't like spreadsheets and actually this company's job you know the job i'm doing is meaningless and i don't even know why we make these widgets it's like yeah our bodies and our minds (laughs) will take the path of least resistance 100 percent. yeah and we need need to need to find those motivations or that higher purpose individually or from a collective group that allows us to do it. Oh, Tim, I wanted, I just want to move on because um, it, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're on board as part of the Frank and Fearless uh, coaching team. Um, I can't even remember how we met less than a year ago, but you, you know what it's like. Sometimes you just meet somebody and there's that instant connection and it just goes to show how free flowing this conversation is. Um, I'm just keen for you to just explain what sort of coach are you? Nice. So, um, like, like I say, I mean, you, you've probably picked up with my medieval history and, and frequent references to ancient philosophy. Like, I try and blend ancient philosophy with the modern scientific research, and it's amazing the number of overlaps. Like the stuff that people were writing down 2,000, 3,000 years ago that is now proven scientifically to be a thing and you kind of go that's quite cool so yeah i try and blend some ancient frameworks philosophies and ideas with modern research but basically pose questions to you to like you have the answer in you you know it's like let's draw that out and i try and do that in a manner that is using humor and a little bit of sarcasm and (laughs) a little bit of you know poke every now and then come on you can do this you can do this um, yeah. And have you got any killer questions that you want to share? Um, I mean, where do you start? I guess it depends on on what we're you know what we're talking about. Um, to be honest, okay, let's, let's talk about let's talk about purpose. Then is there there one or two killer questions that you really ask people to help them understand? Um, I mean, like I say, the, the ult- on the individual level, that the ultimate question is who could you be? It's like strip away all the pretense, all the bullshit, all the all the resentment, all the anger, like become who you could be. That's, and I guess linked to that is why are you who you are? Like go back and review your life to date. What has made you who you, and this is kind of like the the purpose journey summarized. It's like, who who are you now? So, So know thyself. Who are you? Why are you who you are? Who could you be? And, and this is the hero's journey in three questions because the, the key point is like in in the harry potter movement you know in movies it's the phoenix you know it's like burn off all the bits of you that you've been carrying to date that you don't want to carry any longer so that you can create the new version of you and step into who you could be but those are three really hard questions that people don't want to go and think about and have you met anybody that has uh answered those three questions in a living Totally. I mean, this is what I work with people to, to help them go that. But I'm just doing this. I'm doing some one-on-one coaching with a – he's a senior exec in a, a large New Zealand company. And I'm pushing him. Like, and he he's – we got to a point the other day he, he was almost in tears. He's like, I, I now know what's led me to be why I am and who I am for the last kind of 30 years. And mm-hmm. I know where – I now know – I know he's like, I know exactly where that's come from. And it's it's some of it is holding him back, and it's like, cool, 
you've, he's, he's a real Harry Potter fan. And I'm like, cool, you're, you're down the toilet. You've just found the basilisk. You're going to cut its head off. Oh, uh, Tim, um, the, the, the stories, the humour, uh, it's no surprise that you and I are working so closely together because there's a, there's a similarity in the way that we work, the way that we think, um, but also uh, the ability to help people understand to become better versions of themselves. Um, our styles are different, but there's similarities. I've, I've loved this conversation. I know that we're going to get you back for another, another part two uh, somewhere down the line. Um, any last things that you, uh, any tools, tips, techniques, resources that you would recommend to uh, to the listeners? Um, like I say, I've got a whole lot of free resources on my website. Happy to get a link to you so they can go and check out Purpose and B Corp and, and all that kind of stuff. Um, but yeah, I think for me, it just if, if you genuinely feel that you're a leader and you are genuinely part of this sort of frank and fearless community, Get, get real with yourself and go and do go and do this hard work like the the, the clue is there like it's it's like i say it's in all the the, the highest grossing movies like um what's the name the lady who wrote who wrote harry potter um jk rowling jk rowling like it's no coincidence that she's a cabillionaire because she put the archetypal story that is the story of humanity at its best into a book that kids could understand and read it's like the clues are there everywhere. You won't reg- like. I think it was Tony Robbins who said, "No one, no one ever regretted doing good." And it's like, no one will regret going on this journey of transformation. Yes, it's hard, but if you're a leader, that's what you signed up for. You know, like, get amongst it. Well, Tim, you are a leader, and you definitely do good. Um, I mean, good is even in your name, uh, your company <laughs> name, the Grow Good Company. Uh, Tim, thank you very much. Uh, this has been the Frank and Fearless Leadership Podcast. I've been your host, Adam Harris. Uh, Please subscribe and see you on the next episode. Thank you.